as long as you're passionate about what you're doing and you have clear and concise strategies and approaches to working with clients, I think you could be successful in this business. You are listening to Your Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Now here's your host, Hannah Moore, a CFP and the owner of Guiding Wealth Management. Thanks, Charlie. I'm so excited to have Bill Simone of Simone Financial Group on the podcast with us today. Bill shares his career path from a captive insurance agent to an independent broker dealer and now a fee-only RAA. Not only does Bill dive into the differences of each, he shares what he's done to be successful as a business owner. This is a great episode. You're going to love it. As a reminder, if you passed your CFP exam this month, we want to celebrate with you. Send me an email at hannah at guidingwealth.com with your address so we can send you a gift. Let's get right to the episode with Bill. Well, thanks for joining us today, Bill. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So how did you get into financial planning or the financial services field? Um, I didn't know a lot about money and I came back from uh, a combat deployment. I was in the United States Marine Corps. Um, And when I came back from the Marine Corps, I had more money than I had ever had in my life um, because you can't really spend any money on deployments. So uh, when I got back, um, I did what every service member or most service members tend to do, which is uh, I bought a car got myself a nice place to stay and spent almost all of my deployment money before I knew what I was doing. Um, And then maybe six or seven months down the line, I got into a car accident, totaled my vehicle um, and got what's called replacement value of my car, which was not what I paid for, which was one heck of a wake up call. Um, And while I was young, I was about 20, 21 uh, years old during this time period, um, a lot of the guys that were deploying with me were kind of going through the same thing, Uh, spending a lot of money um, from their deployments and then depending on another deployment for them to start making money. I knew that there had to be a better way and I wanted to know what those who were able to keep their money and were able to grow, what they were doing that was so different from me, you know, what knowledge did they have? So um, I started doing research in terms of business um, and looking at how business owners were able to grow and capitalize. And I I wanted to put some of those things into practice. Um, I started learning how to save. And by the time I got went on my second deployment, I had a good strategy in place. I had a good savings plan in place. And um, from there, I decided that I wanted to make a career first and foremost in business. and, and helping business owners and figure out how to grow and, and get to where they want to be. And then I kind of stumbled into financial planning as a career path when I moved to Texas and started working primarily with an insurance company. Um, and I started working with families and, and helping them protect their most basic needs. Um, I really developed a passion for this and really started to grow within the financial planning industry and decided that this is where I wanted to spend the rest of my life. This is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So you really started out thinking about it from more of that business perspective than maybe the personal finance perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I know I, I know I didn't want to be broke, but I also knew that I wanted to uh, I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I wanted to follow the path that most business owners follow. Um, and then when I started working with business owners, I realized that business owners have the same problems that regular people do. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, okay, so this is interesting to me. So you have two different deployments, kind of two different scenarios of what happened. Yeah. And so was just education the biggest difference? Or what would you say is, I mean, obviously in your situation, but also looking kind of on a broader scale? I would say two things. One, education and, um, and exposure. Because simply having the education, I don't think is enough. Um, there are many studies that show that financial education is very helpful. Um, and if you've ever worked with a 401k or looked at a financial wellness program, you know, you'll see that lots of people are interested and engaged in, in education, but it's really implementation and exposure from a young age and consistently that matters, right? If you're with a family of savers and investors, then that's what you're going to be. Um, uh, if it's ingrained in you, if it, if it becomes something that's important to you, then that's what you're going to do. So I think it's two things. It's education, because you got to have a basis, and it's exposure. Um, you have to see it in practice, and you have to know that it works in order for people to follow through. So for exposure, if you don't have that family background, I mean, is that just through friends or bloggers, or what, is, what does that exposure look like for the adult who hasn't had that good experience growing up? That's a great question. It varies. It, it can be... Um, it could be, let's say a person's in a really tight spot, you know, they've hit rock bottom or they've spent their last dollar and they're getting ready to get that first, um, they're, they're seeing the commercials on television about getting cash now with a, with a clever jingle, right? And they're thinking, okay, it's, that's, that's the easiest thing for them to do. Um, and so that's their exposure, right? Uh, spend money and then go borrow more money so you can go spend more money. I think that if they take a look at some of the, the other programs like Dave Ramsey's program, and I don't necessarily agree with everything that he says, however, he does provide a good platform, or if they have friends that are doing the right things in terms of savings, then that's where they start to get that exposure. And once at that point in time, their willingness to participate really comes into play, right? Um, I'm an adult now, and even still to this day, when I work with some of my clients and we're setting up 401k plans, they have no idea how those things work. Um, and once they find out how those plans work, they still they're still hesitant to put money into it until we start to share examples of other people in their scenario who have been able to save, plan for retirement, and, and hit their goals. So um, that's where their exposure is going to come from. It's going to come from... Uh, I think television, uh, I think seeing other successful people that look like them, sound like them, um, modeling exam uh, modeling appropriate behavior. And I think it will come from uh, friends and family who are doing the right things and doing the right things consistently. It sounds like financial planners need to get better at marketing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what I'm hearing. <laughs> Not just for our own, our own well-being, but for really the general public's well-being. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the general public has this viewpoint that we as financial planners, in order for them to work with us, you need to have, let's say, $50,000 in the bank or $100,000 in the bank. You need to already be wealthy and you, you need to already be in a good financial position. I think we as financial educators and coaches, we really need to start working with people younger, um, with less and help them develop the good habits that'll keep, help them keep more in their pockets down the line. And we need to show One them of the that ideas I've, 
Yeah. One of the ideas that I'm really fascinated is this idea of what does it mean for financial planning to be a true profession? Mm -hmm. And you look at the big professions like medicine and law, it's every single person is affected by it. And every single person is affected by money. And if we want to be a true profession, we have to figure out how to work with people who don't have a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or are up to their eyeballs in debt. Um, so I think your point is very well taken. Yeah. Thank you. I agree. Yeah. So you get out of the military. What did, what was your next step? Yeah. Great question. So I got out of the military. Um, actually, um, while I was in, I, I transitioned to the reserves and, um, I got married and after getting married, I moved here to Texas. Um, while I was in the reserves, I worked with a business broker, which is, uh, really where I started to understand how business works. Um, I spent about a year and a half with uh, a small business brokerage firm in South Florida, and um, we we sat down. We would do valuations for small business owners that were looking to sell or transition out of their business for for one reason or another. Um, this was 2007, 2008 timeframe going into 2009, and South Florida's economy was really, really bad. Right, we were looking at a housing crisis and South Florida's economy is really built on tourism, which took a major drop. And um, most of the business owners that were coming in were coming in because um, they felt like they had no other recourse. They weren't properly prepared uh, for, uh, for an event like this. And so they wanted to just kind of cash out, right? Well, unfortunately, they didn't have the plans in place to, to do so. They didn't have money saved. Uh, they didn't really have protection pieces. They didn't have life insurance. They didn't have an exit plan. Um, they didn't have a strategy for buying out a partner. And these are, I think many of these translate to the same issues that individuals have. Uh, you know, if you work for a company, if you're not participating in your 401k, you don't really have a retirement plan, which is the average person's business or employment exit strategy. You know, um, you they didn't have life insurance, so if something pa if someone passed away, protecting their family, um, and we started having a lot more conversations in that realm with these business owners. Instead of telling them, "Here's what the multiple is going to look like," we can sell your business. It, it became more a conversation of what we need to do is in your business. We need to make sure that we position you, and then you're going to have to look at doing this in two or three years, right? So we start pushing those time frames out. Um, well, at this point in time, I got married um, and my wife and I decided that we were going to move to Texas. And when we moved to Texas, um, I didn't have a natural market. We didn't know any friends or family here. Um, I was basically starting from scratch. And um, I got a job working for an insurance company. When I started working for the insurance company, I spent more of that time working with individuals and answering the exact same types of questions, right? Um, and answering those same types of questions, just using different examples. For example, instead of saying business exit strategy, we're talking about your retirement plan. Instead of talking about um, your 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 professional safety net, we're talking about your personal uh, your personal insurance policy and how to protect your family against death or disability. Um, instead of talking about partnership buyouts, we were talking about uh, situations in the event of divorce or a blended family. Right. So a lot of those concepts still translate it over, which which helped me be successful in that space. 
Um, so let me ask you, so let me back up just a little bit. When you were doing that business brokerage, did you have any concept of what financial planning was? Nope. Or that no there idea. was, I should say that there's a profession out there. Nope. Never, never no heard of it. Had no idea. So you moved to Texas and then what, what drew you into insurance? Uh, the opportunity to continue working with my clients, it seemed like the, it seemed, or continue working in the space that I was in. It seemed like the easiest path to start building uh, a, a business. At that point in time, I, I had the entrepreneurial bug and, you know, a, a commission-based job or a sales-based job wasn't going to be an issue for me. I took the insurance position because my goal was eventually to open up my own business brokerage, right? Continue doing what I was doing in South Florida, working with business owners. Um, and we had had conversations about buy sells and and um, and and partnership buyouts, and I knew that that generally involved insurance. So I looked for a position in, with an insurance company that would allow me to continue doing that. And so you started out fully one hundred percent commission from the beginning of your insurance career. Yes, absolutely. And so how did how did that experience go? <laughs> it was a, um, it def, it, it was one heck of a learning experience. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, it was kind of painful, um, but it taught me the value of persistency um, because <laughs> now instead of depending on a regular check, um, it was kill what you eat territory, right? Um, I had to go out and I had to find and fight for every piece of business that I needed to. And then I needed to be able to uh, share with a client why this particular insurance product made sense, which is what I was doing. You know, I, my conversations were really around, was really geared around um, why this particular product is the most appropriate for you or the value of uh, a whole life versus a term or whatever the case may be. So how are you finding your clients? Um, I would, <laughs> I would uh, get in my suit and tie in the middle of the Texas heat, and I would go to every networking event and every coffee shop, and I would go and I'd sit there and I'd shake hands with as many strangers as I could. Um, <laughs> and eventually, um, I took the tie off, and then eventually I took the coat off because I got tired <laughs> of sweating through my shirt. Um, <laughs> and people just don't like you sweating all over them. But generally speaking, they're friendly once you uh, once you kind of relax a little bit and you can get into a conversation with them. Um, so I just started having lots and lots of conversations with as many people as I could and telling them what it was that I did for a living. And um, that helped me start to build and branch out, build my business. So that's kind of that old school model of mm -hmm. prospecting is just getting out there and just doing as much as you can. Yeah. Shaking as many hands, making as many phone calls as you can. Um, I used to go to networking events and um, um, I would introduce myself as Mr. Tall, Dark and Handsome. And the reason I would do that was because uh, there, there weren't a lot of people that looked like me in, in these events, uh, you know, not saying that there aren't out there, it's just that in terms of these professional networking events and places that I was going to, uh, there just weren't a lot of uh, tall black guys, you know, in a suit and tie uh, introducing themselves. So it felt fun and it felt different to just go in there and just say, hey, look, um, hi, everyone. I'm Mr. Tall, Dark and Handsome, but you can call me Bill. 
you know, it was a great icebreaker. It made me memorable <laughs> and it, uh, it helped, it helped solidify a little bit of a brand. So I started creating a, a bit of a brand around myself and anytime I would go to these events and I started to repeat and they started to see me once again, persistency is important here. Um, it became a moniker and it, and it worked to help spur more conversations about what it is that I do and the value that I brought to the table. So more people remembered you as Mr. Tall, Dark, and Handsome than Bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. So how long were you at the insurance company? Five years. I was at, uh, I was at this particular insurance company for a little bit over five years. Um, and while I was at the insurance company, uh, this is when I started working on the CFP program. And this is when I actually started to learn about financial planning. Did they, sorry, your audio cut out just a little oh, bit there. Sorry, I apologize. I said, while I was at the insurance company, that's when uh, I started to learn about actual financial planning, personal financial planning. So, okay, so you're at this insurance company. So now, were you making enough money to feed you and your wife at this point? Uh, say that one more time. Were you, were you making enough money to, I mean, to put food on the table or was it just a constant struggle? I mean, like, were you successful in that or was it not initially? So my wife works, she's a school teacher. And so that provided us with some consistent income. But when I got started, no, I wasn't making any money. I had to, I had to create my own leads and I struggled and, um, it was really hard. We had to pretty much burn through our savings. Um, but at this point in time, I, we're doing it with an end goal in mind. Um, by year two, um, I, I got to the point where I was moderately successful. I had enough, uh, I was generating enough revenue to, to, to take care of the family, cover our expenses, create bills. And year three and four, we became profitable. So I was doing okay at that point. Did your insurance company that you were with, did they have like a minimum GDC or something that you had to produce every year in order to stay on their platform? Yeah. So every year they had a, they had a minimum insurance, they had a minimum application and um, production requirement. Um, and the production requirement was really focused around their core products. Um, and coming from where I was to the insurance business, I didn't really understand the products um, at the beginning. Um, and at that point, I was really just kind of selling it for the purpose of helping maybe my regional director or our managing partner who would then go in and, and explain some of the products as long as we were getting the appointments. But as I started to learn more about the business, it became easier for me to better explain the value of each particular product in, in a different scenario. Um, so, okay. So I feel like a lot of people who may be listening to this may not understand this completely. So if you bring in the lead, yeah. you bring your, you know, your manager into the room to help them explain the product. Mm -hmm. Now they, the client signs up for it. Do you get the full commission or are you having to split this with your manager or how does that work? Uh, I, at the, at the beginning we were splitting the commission with our, with our manager or whoever helped us with the, uh, with the close. So if we had someone else participate, then, then you took a little bit of a cut, but uh, half of something is better than um, all of nothing. Yeah. So you were, it was like a 50-50 split for when they came in and helped you. Yes. And then were you the one to initiate that or were they the ones to say that they needed to be in the room? When we first started, uh, they needed to be in the room, especially if I was coming from, uh, especially with my background coming in, not knowing 
not knowing uh, the company I started working with, I had never heard of before. It was a fraternal company. And I, I didn't even know the concept concept of fraternalism as an insurance company. Um, and the name of the company was a little offset, uh, off putting as well. Um, so I had to do a lot of learning. Um, and in order for me to do that, I needed to have someone there with me. Very interesting. Okay. So you're there for five years and you said you started to learn what financial planning was. Yeah. So how did you get that exposure to what financial planning was? The exposure to financial planning came from going out and, and meeting with other people and hearing about their experiences with, let's say, their investment advisors or their their financial guys. And, there's, and as I would talk about insurance, these other questions would come up. Well, what about my retirement? Well, that sounds great, but let's come back to this and uh, let's talk about this life insurance plan. Okay, but really, um, I really want to focus on my retirement. Great. Well, that's okay. Let's, let's get this insurance done. And now I'm starting to think, well, th there's a bigger issue here that they have. Or we'd come in and once I start learning about retirement, that's great. My kids want to go to college. Okay, we'll talk about we'll talk about college, but um, I really have this great annuity that I want to show you, right? And each time I got into these conversations, I became more interested in the fact that the client's conversation was geared towards making sure that things were taken care of or areas that they weren't that they were completely confused about or were unsure of. But my conversations were really around a product or a service that our company had and they wanted us to, to market, you know? Um, and that curiosity continued to grow and continued to grow. So then I started to do research and as I was learning, um, I learned about the CFP program, you know, becoming a certified financial planner and providing planning services for your clients as an all encompassing solution to helping them answer their, their, their key goals. This just felt like a natural progression at this point in time because I knew how to take care of their protection needs. Now let's talk about retirement, investing, and, and wealth building needs. Um, so I talked to my company about this, and um, they started a program through the American College. They partnered with the American College and asked a few of the advisors to uh, who were interested uh, to enroll to become certified financial planners using the American College's financial planning education program. And um, I started that program. I was one of, I think, 13 or 14 advisors um, out of the office or insurance agents out of the office to enroll in the program. I was the only one that actually completed the program and sat for the exam. Wow. So they were saying that there's this push for well, pushed by 13 people um, for financial planning, and you were the only one to actually complete it. So once you passed your CFP, mm -hmm. how much longer did you stay at that insurance company? Oh, not at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that was pretty much the beginning of the end for me. Uh, the beginning of the, beginning of the financial planning program and learning the financial program became, um, became my exit at that point in time because I knew that there was more that I could do for my clients and in my space I was really really limited um, also at the company that I was in while they were you know I love the company and their products are are, are tremendous you know and I, I I think that in terms of a, a company that takes care of their clients for their specific role I think they do a great job there but it was not a company for planning. And the reason why we went through the financial planning program at the company was specifically so that we could sell more insurance. 
right? That was the goal. They allowed us to do the program because they, they knew that becoming certified and being able to speak intelligently on other topics allowed you to sell more insurance and made it more profitable for the organization. Um, and that didn't take away our commission. Uh, that didn't take away our quotas or anything like that. We still had to focus on insurance while we were going through the, through the program. So, okay, so they, I, I love this point, and I think it's a point that people miss. So they wanted people to go through the financial planning program because it would be easier to sell planning so that you could get insurance. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, we would use planning uh, or the guise of plan financial planning because now we've gone through or we have financial planning education as a, uh, as a premise to sell more insurance. So because we can talk intelligently in other topics, when we come back to the in using insurance as the product solution, it became more apparent. It became easier to do. So when people, uh, I think you've kind of already hit on this. I just want to see if there's anything else. When people talked about financial planning within that insurance company, mm -hmm. What, would you consider that true financial planning or, I mean, what, what would be your thoughts or maybe your critiques of that? I, I think that, um, I think that the concept of sales and actual consulting and planning should be separate. So in the concept of, in the context of an insurance company per se, if you're going to provide financial planning, then financial planning needs to be its own distinct uh, venue. You can't say I'm going to provide you with this plan for free, but you have to buy the products for me from me because at that point in time, you're just a really, really fancy salesperson. Um, and I think that's generally what insurance companies do or not. And it's not just insurance companies. Wirehouses do the same thing. Um, individual brokerage houses, things, places, you know, broker dealers, it's the same concept because at the end of the day, what they want you to do is they want you to buy the investment product or they want you to place those investments with them, whatever the case may be. But planning, financial planning is different. It's, it's an ongoing process. It's serving the client and providing um, tangible solutions that the client can then go and implement but, you know, on their time frame. It doesn't necessarily require a product. Sometimes financial planning is a complete mindset change. I know this because, like I told you, going back to my deployment for me to improve, it was a mindset change, right? I needed to think differently about the monies that were that were coming in. I didn't need to buy a new product. I needed to keep money in my pocket, right? I needed to I needed to focus on emergency savings and keeping money in the bank. I needed to think about where am I spending my dollars and how do I prioritize those. Um, and I think in the context of organizations that have product that are product specific or product focused, uh, they, they use financial planning to, mainly to support the sale or the use of their product. I love that. One of my things I say when I have clients go through a financial planning process, I don't tell my clients this, but I want them to think about money differently when they finish yes. working, finish the financial planning process. Exactly. That's exactly right. I want them to think about what's important to them about the use of their funds, right? Um, and I think that if they know why they're spending the dollars, then it's easier for them to make decisions regarding those dollars. Where do you want them to go and why? Okay. And 
I think if you're with a product company, there's an inherent conflict in that space because the why may be different than what your product can offer. And we're taught differently. We're taught to we're we're taught in the in the product world, in the insurance world, we're taught to um, find the value in the product and match the product to the client. And um, or I think really what we should do is we should just focus on the client and identify the needs of the client, then help the client to slowly implement wherever that may be, you know? Um, and I think that there's real value in being able to distinguish myself or, or for financial planners to be able to distinguish themselves by saying, I can help you find those solutions and then work with you with whomever you choose to go with to help make that happen. So I hear from quite a few people, um, and there I hear from a number of people who are in a position kind of where you were at before or working for somebody in that role, where they're still trying to navigate the distinction between what is financial planning in this, in this sales role or you know selling insurance. What would be your advice to somebody in, in that space? Would the advisor or the client? Uh, the advisor. Um, I would tell the advisor that they need to identify what their intention is when walking into a client's or into a prospective um, client's house or meeting. When you walk in there, do you have the intention to leave with, let's say, a an application for a new life insurance plan or a new five to nine plan or a or rolling over their IRA? Well, if that's the case, or rolling over the 401k, if that's the case, you're a product salesperson. You're not a financial planner. You're walking in there with an intention to gain some asset or to, or, or to place a product. That's sales. If you're going in there to consult with the client and to then put in place a process to help that client change their mindset um, or identify their priorities with money, that's planning. Um if at any point in time you feel like this, I know this client, here's, here's a good example. I walk into Johnny and Jane's house. Johnny and Jane are mid thirties. They've got one son. Um, and, uh, Johnny has a small business that he runs and Jane is a teacher, right? This is a hypothetical. I go in there. I know John, I know about their son. I know that Johnny has a small business and I know that Jane is a school teacher. Well, if in my bag, when I walk in there, I have an application for a 529 plan, and I know that I'm going to tell Jane she needs to participate in a 403B, which includes the annuity that my company offers, and I tell Johnny that he needs to have term life insurance from, from our company, while those may all be valid suggestions, I am a salesperson. I am walking in there with the intent to sell this family some products. And the way that I'm going to structure that conversation is around planning. Well, Johnny, uh, you've got a small business. You need to make sure that you have life insurance in place to protect the family in the, in, in the course of, in the event of death. Jane, we need to make sure your retirement is taken care of. The best way to do that is through our 403B. And you want little Johnny here to go to college. Well, we've got this great 529 plan. That sales, right? Instead of walking in and sitting down with Johnny and Jane and saying, Johnny, Jane, here are some key considerations that you may have, whether it's protecting the family, saving for retirement, or making sure that your son can go to college. Let's talk about the, the order of importance in, in your case and what steps you would like to take to get there. 
Do you see the distinction? Do you see the difference? Oh, absolutely. Well, and I think what's interesting is, you know, there's a lot of, I don't want to throw anybody on the bus, but, you know, there's a lot of investment managers who, you know, do AUM based and they walk in there and maybe it's not insurance products, but it is investment products yes. or an investment like, you know, we are fee based or fee only, but here's our investment solution. And they only lead with that investment solution. That's essentially the same thing that I'm hearing you say about this insurance. Absolutely. It, it applies in any product specific environment. It really does. Uh, because many wirehouses won't even take a client on and what they'll do is they'll offer financial planning. But before we can provide you with planning, we need to know that you've got $250,000 that you want us to manage for you. And what we'll do is we'll wrap into that, I'm doing air quotes here, uh, financial planning to help address your other goals. However, uh, you're going to need to move that investment portfolio over here, buddy. <laughs> you know, um, that doesn't help the small person. That doesn't help Johnny and Jane. I mean, as a small business owner and a teacher, they probably, they're not going to have $250,000 that they're going to uh, scrape together for them to work with this and this big wirehouse advisor, there's no way, um, unless there's an inheritance that comes in from somewhere. But at that point in time, where's the focus? Is the focus on the client's overall goals, or is the focus on the performance of the investments, or taking over those assets, or gaining those assets? Oh, I love that so much. Um, yes. Let me take a break right now. I'm going to throw this over to Charlie, who's been listening, and see if he has any questions based on what you've said. Absolutely. Sure, sure. All all that was great. And I don't want to, I'm not trying to derail and ask these questions, but I'm kind of curious about your kids. Yeah. Uh, And I'm going to circle around to it because it sounds like, you know, you learned some lessons uh, coming back, you know, blowing the money after your deployment, all that kind of stuff. And you, you described that later again. It sounded like, you enjoy working with clients and, and helping bring them through those same lessons. Yeah. Uh, it probably looks different for them. I'm curious because way at the beginning, you also talked about exposure and implementation. Is there anything going on at home with your kids um, to kind of teach them some of these lessons? Absolutely. So my oldest, Isaac, is four years old. And uh, Isaac uh, just lost his first tooth uh, about a week and a half ago, right? Now, um, when I was a kid, if you lost a tooth, you might, you might get a penny, maybe a nickel. Uh, but I had to give Isaac a dollar. So inflation is a killer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but we gave Isaac, uh, you know, we, we, we put a dollar underneath Isaac's pillow and, and swap the tooth out. Now, when Isaac wakes up, he's like, Hey, I got a dollar. I got a dollar. I was like, do you know what that dollar means? He was like, uh, no, tell me about it. It's it's money. I was like, sure. Well, Isaac, when mommy and daddy go to the store to buy food, and when we go to fun places and we do fun things, this is what we use to pay for it. He's like, okay, I've got a dollar. How did I get this dollar? I said, because you lost a tooth. Since you lost a tooth, we're giving you this dollar. Now, as we move down the line, you're going to want to save this dollar for you to get fun things because we're maybe you want to get a a nice Christmas present at the end of the year. So we talked to him about saving that dollar for a specific purpose. And we gave him a little piggy bank where my kids, all of them have been collecting change. Anytime they find a quarter or a nickel or a dime or a dollar, they know to immediately go put that in a piggy bank so that they can use that down the line for something that they want to, they want to buy, whether it's PJ masks, which is the, the rage right now in my house or Thomas the train, which used to be the rage. 
Um, <laughs> and they're able to focus on, they're able to um, delay instant gratification with the thought process of getting something much better down the line. At this young age, my kids know that. You know, my kids know to put the pennies in the bank. My kids know to prioritize what they have. And we do that with other things as well, whether it's candy or um, or if we're going to take a trip to McDonald's or get fast food. Every time we make a purchase, we tell the kids where the money comes from. Daddy had to work. Mommy had to work for us to be able to afford this. And I want you, children, to understand that when you get older, you're going to need to be able to make the same kinds of decisions. That's a whole different message than we don't have enough money for this. <laughs> yeah. Mommy, daddy, you don't have enough money. Well, that's not, that's not teaching kids anything. That just teaches them that they need to go make a, a lot of money so they can buy a lot of stuff. Versus saying, um, as you save and as you grow you'll be able to afford and you'll be able to buy the things that you want, but you have to prioritize those dollars. And that's what we, that's what we try to teach. It's not always going to work because the kids, sometimes they still, they just grab things, but they're young. I'll, I'll give them some, I'll give them some break, just a small amount. But by age of six, they're going to know about Roth IRAs, right? Oh, oh yeah. By the age of six, <laughs> they're going to be reading the wall street journal and, and, and making their own case. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Anything else, Charlie? No, no, that's okay. it. Okay. <laughs> We're still feeling this out, Bill, this yeah. new like idea of no worries. breaking up a long interview. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that I'm, I'm just loving about your story is that it's so client focused. Like you're saying, I heard my clients having these conversations and I wasn't able to engage with them in that. So I went back to get my CFP. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really admire that. So as you are wrapping up, your time at the insurance company, what, like, did you know that you wanted to go into financial planning? Like what was your next step or your thought processes towards your next step? Oh, I knew, I want, I knew I wanted to go into planning. I knew I wanted to be able to offer an expanded solution for my clients. Okay. Um, but in the environment that I was in, I, I couldn't do that. I started having conversations with my existing clients and prospects and my revenue, my income went down. So as I got more successful and as I started to learn more techniques, rather than making more money and selling more insurance, I did the opposite. And the reason for that is because my conversations stopped being focused around the products that we were offering and really started to be around solutions that would help the clients save and retain more of their capital, as well as changing their mindset. Um, so every... Every person that made $50,000 or less or whatever the case didn't necessarily need to have a Roth IRA or an annuity. I didn't have to walk. I didn't walk into every appointment expecting to sell life insurance. This is a problem if you work for an insurance company. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I was now providing solutions that were more in depth and I was engaging in client uh, and conversations that were way more meaningful and way more valuable for my clients because we were talking about strategies to help them improve using the, using the resources that they currently had. Well, the downside with that is now I'm walking out of the house and out of the appointment without a sale. Um, and that just wasn't working. And I knew that the way that I was doing it now was felt so much better being able to engage and having the clients when I walk out, say, thank you so much. That was, 
such valuable information. Um, thank you for, for, for helping me figure out what I should be contributing to my 401k instead of telling me that, oh, no, you need to go ahead and just start putting that money into an IRA now. Okay, well, don't do an IRA if you're not maxing out your 401k, right? That's, a, that's the kind of conversation that I'm having now with my clients, and that is bringing a whole lot more value to them. But for the insurance company, for my location, for, my, for our current business model was not helping. Um, ended up getting into a conversation with my, uh, with my boss who said that, I love that you're doing all this planning stuff, but we don't do that here. We're not a planning company. Um, I need you to understand that you sell insurance. And if you want to, if you want to stay here and if you, if you plan on building your business here, um, you're going to need to sell insurance, buddy. Uh, and he said, just go home and think about it. I went home, had a deep conversation with my wife, and that night, uh, this was November of 2013, I wrote out my um, uh, I, I wrote out my uh, two-week notice, and the next morning I was like, okay, this is not where I'm, uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, I know that uh, you guys are a great company, but my plans and my needs as a, as a professional have grown outside of that. And I don't want to just sell insurance for the rest of my life. I handed in my two weeks notice. And rather than having two weeks, I was walked out the door. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your notice. Go ahead and leave your computer on the desk. Goodbye. Um, <laughs> and that was in November. I, um, I, I didn't have a plan to go to the independent room. I thought I was going to go work for a small financial planning firm, uh, or at this point in time, I was sneaking wirehouse. There was one in particular that um, I was in talks with and was planning on going to. And I got accepted into their training program. Um, well, after leaving uh, my insurance company, I went to the wirehouse and started talking to them, went through the interview process and realized that it was the exact same thing on the other side of the spectrum. So rather than being insurance focused, it was investments focused. You need to be able to bring in $250,000 per month in new assets. Oh, by the way, we don't work with clients that have less than $50,000 and you need to send them to the banking channel. You know, I was like, okay, this is not where I want to go. Um, I have enough of a background in this business. I know how I want to structure this. Let's go the independent route. And so I decided to, at that point in time, um, partner with a broker dealer that was going to give me the flexibility that I needed but still provide me with some resources to um, to learn planning and learn how to give advice and to run the business of financial advice. I did that for two and a half years with a broker dealer. And during that entire time, I didn't write a single life insurance contract. I, I just kicked that back to, to the firm. I focused on honing my financial planning skills, uh, my investment management skills, um, and how to how to run and, and grow a financial planning first firm um, and doing so over those two years um, i was able to exit and I, I decided last year that really i should be a fee-only practice because i am not accepting any commissions i haven't written a commission-based product in forever and my clients don't come to me looking for products my clients don't stay with me because of the products they offer that i offer my clients are coming to me and they are working with me because I offer clear and concise advice um, and I can help coach them through the process. So last year I launched, um, I decided to form, form my RIA, the fee only RIA. 
started the process in February and launched the RIA in June. That's great. So let me go back to this independent broker dealer, uh, because I think there's a lot of confusion around what services they offer and what you can or can't do there. So with the, in that independent space, they gave you that freedom to do financial planning, whereas you couldn't do that in that, in that was it a captive insurance agent? That's correct. It was a, I was a captive insurance agent. Before. Okay. So when you got out of the captive insurance agent, you went to an independent broker dealer and that independent broker dealer allowed you to focus on financial planning. Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so did they have any quotas or anything that you had to do at that broker dealer? Nope. They didn't have any quotas. Um, uh, they were they were really hands off. Uh, they didn't have any product specific requirements, um, but obviously the, there was a there was a compensation split. Um, and Laura, you were on the on the income realm or the revenue uh, space. The, lower, the higher the split was, so uh, it, it started at fifty fifty, then it went to 50, 60, 40, 70, 30, on and on and on, based on what's called gross dealer concession. So that's all revenues that go into or through the broker dealer gets filtered and then a split gets uh, gets processed between the broker dealer and the advisor. Uh, with the broker dealer that I started out with, we were at uh, a 70-30 split based on my previous pr- production at the company I was at with. And so the broker dealer then provides you for that 30% of your revenue what services do they provide you? Uh, they provided me with um, compliance oversight, um, discounts on some of their technology. Uh, they had a package technology platform um, that they offered um, access to products um, if I needed it. Um, for example, um, there was an insurance brokerage if I wanted to sell insurance. Uh, there was managed money solutions that were available. Um, basically they, they provided the back office and the middle office solutions so that I can operate as an independent, uh, fee and commission based advisor. And so is there anything in your RAA practice now that you couldn't do in your, in the independent broker dealer space? I can't, I, I can't offer insurance, so I don't do any insurance, uh, but that's by choice. Um, and the only reason that I don't do insurance or uh, commission-based products is because I chose to become fee-only. I didn't want to have the conflict of outside compensation clouding my recommendations. Um, as an RIA, a registered investment advisor, you, you have the option of integrating with uh, insurance or commission-based products. However, in my case, I chose not to do so. So I think, I think this is a really uh, good point that I think is missed. So in that independent broker-dealer space, you could essentially run your business the same way that you do through as an RAA. That's correct. You can. There, with some, with, with some, <laughs> with some, uh, with, with some caveats. One of the biggest caveats being uh, compliance. As your own RIA, you have a lot more leniency, you have a lot more flexibility in terms of compliance, right? Um, For example, if you want to put different people on your brochure, you can do so. And then you're your compliance officer. And if you think it makes sense, obviously you you can consult with someone. It's still your decision. Um, With a broker dealer, you need to go through their compliance office and everything has to be approved through some nebulous 
person that sits in an office at the home office. Okay, I'm in Austin, Texas, or Kyle, Texas, uh, Central Texas area, and the compliance officer is in Illinois. And uh, the needs and the marketing approaches and the strategies for Austin, Texas are going to be different than Illinois or different than Seattle, Washington, or different than South Florida, right? And so um, having more flexibility, more autonomy in, in that space is great. Also, if you're working within a broker-dealer, you have to use whatever products or services that are available on the broker-dealer's platform. Okay, so that's a restriction of a broker dealer. Uh, they'll give you a lot of freedom and latitude, but it has to be within the 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 purview, the compliance, and the product uh, product availability of that broker dealer. And you can use. I mean, when I was at the broker dealer, I mean, I could use like I use Redtail and other resources outside of it. But you have to pay extra. You're already paying for their technology suite. Yeah, it's, yeah. Part of that, uh, part of that split that they take includes a technology suite. Some broker dealers will give you the flexibility to use outside technologies. Others will not. In my case, my broker dealer gave me the flexibility to use outside technologies, but they wouldn't waive my technology fee. So, um, yeah. I'd rather if I'm going to already have to pay for my own technology, or I choose to use my own technology, I don't want to have to pay twice. Um, that was a that was a, a source of contention. That was a pain point. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing, talking from a compliance standpoint, I think that's important to understand about broker dealers is they're having to be the compliance for such a wide variety of advisors. Correct. So like there are still advisors at broker dealers who just sell individual stocks on a commission basis. Now, granted, some of that's going to be going away mm-hmm. with some of the DOL fiduciary. Um, that's coming out. Mm-hmm. But they're regulating people who are doing that. They're regulating people who are only selling annuities. They're regulating financial planners. And so because there are so many different types, their standards, ha- their rules have to allow for all of that. Yeah. Whereas a lot of times those extra rules don't make sense for somebody who's doing pure financial planning and fee-only advising. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. So you left, so you left the broker-dealer mm-hmm. Um, were you able to build up your practice at this point? Because you, did you start from zero, I guess, when you st- went with the broker-dealer? Yeah, so that was when I started uh, really the independent uh, practice part. Um, when I left the insurance company, I had a non-compete, so I couldn't take any clients. I took nothing with me um, and had to build from scratch. Um, and when I went to the broker-dealer and I started to build my business, while they gave me a lot of latitude to build my business, there wasn't really uh, a lot of help in terms of how to build the business. So it, there was some stumbling along. And that first year, year and a half was really, really difficult. This, it was just like starting over with the insurance company, right? Um, it's getting out, rebuilding my name, rebuild, rebranding and saying, here's where I'm at now. Um, and for me, it was honing my financial planning skills. So I was doing a lot of plans for really, really cheap, just so I can get in front of people and figure out how to have the conversation and how to how to guide them through their solutions and how, how to coach them and uh, coach them into making their own decisions and prioritizing their their cash flow. Um, I started doing this, and as I was doing it, I started to build a small book, um, primarily in planning, because I at this point I had decided I wanted to do planning first. And then slowly but surely started building um, assets. The downside with the asset piece was I didn't want to have a minimum, and my broker dealer did have a minimum. So in order for a client to be able to invest with me, they needed to be at fifty thousand or a hundred thousand. Um, 
my small business clients ha- kept wanting to keep their money in their business, right? Or some of the clients that had did have assets with me, they were in a position where if they would have sold and moved those accounts over, um, especially seeing as how I wanted to do it primarily fee only, they would have lost out on commissions that they would have already have paid or they would have had back-end commissions that they would have had to pay. And I didn't want to necessarily put them through that. So I really focused on figuring out how the planning piece needs to look like. Uh, The broker dealer was a great uh, incubator for that so that I can still have access to other products if I needed to. But um, being able to figure out what I wanted to do and how I wanted to grow that business outside of that kind of took took me away from the broker dealer. So you start your own RAA, and did you have to start over with your clients again, or were you able to bring some of them over? So fortunately, when I left the broker-dealer world, I was able to take a majority of my clients with me. Um, and most of these clients at that point were planning clients anyway. So there, there wasn't going to be any way for the broker-dealer to, to capitalize on on that business. Those clients would have were, were working with me specifically for the, for the planning piece. And when I left the broker-dealer, I, I had... Um, maybe 10 or 15 clients uh, that I was working with consistently. I had customers that had assets. So we had not a lot in terms of assets. We were 500,000 maybe um, when I left in June of last year. Since then, we are now over 48 clients. Since going the full fee-only RIA, we're over 48 clients that we work with. And we've gone from just under five hundred thousand to a little bit to three million and change, and that's in less than a year. And I expect for us to be in the five to ten million dollar range in assets by the end of this year. That's great. So I think you know we talk about the different structures, and your story is such a great example of you know captive insurance to independent broker dealer to your own RA. Mm-hmm. And I think an important distinction that people often don't realize is in the independent channel generally, not all the time, but you, you own that client relationship. So you can take them with you wherever you want to go next. That's correct. In general. Yeah. You have to look at your contract that you signed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right. Depending on where you're at. And this is why, so in terms of a, a good starting point for anyone that's maybe considering making the jump, uh, you, you definitely want to review the contract with the current company that you're with to make sure you can take your clients. And if you cannot take your clients, Know what you can take, you know, in terms of contact information. And if you're deciding to go into the independent channel, there really is a difference between a registered investment advisory firm, a broker dealer, or a captive brokerage firm, such as an Edward Jones or something along those lines. Okay, you got to do your research and you have to, you really have to understand what type of business that you want to run. Because you can't, uh, if, if you're going to, if you want to be the business owner per se, then it's more than just providing planning. It's, you know, operating expenses, it's overhead, it's how are you going to structure your marketing? It's all of those pieces. And if you don't really have an idea as far as what you want to do in that space, you probably need to work with like, like, a, like an independent broker dealer that's going to give you some latitude or Maybe even consider partnering with an existing RIA so that you understand how the business of planning and investment management works before deciding to make the full jump in and doing it completely on your own. And I think, you know, this idea that we have to start out with the perfect and ideal mm-hmm. is 
I think can hurt people sometimes. It's just because you start out somewhere doesn't mean you're going to spend the rest of your career there. Exactly like give correct. it a year or two or three or five. Uh, that's okay. Like that's actually healthy. Yeah. Agreed. You know, uh, when I started at the insurance company, I thought that that was where I was going to be. Then I learned, then I learned about planning, true planning. And then I went into the independent space. Now, when I went into the independent space, I knew that my goal was to become an RIA, but I needed a launching pad. I needed, I needed to learn the business of planning first. So that's why I continued down that path and then ended up uh, making this switch. Um, my, that, pay, that path may take you different places. I have a good friend of mine um, who, who, as much as he loves planning, he hates the concept of having to run the business. And he makes, he's a tremendous planner, but he works for a firm and he couldn't be happier. You know, uh, he, he, he does a great job for his clients, but he's an employee. I could never be an employee. <laughs> um, you know, that's, I don't think that's within my purview or my, um, my, my personality trait. I'm okay with the ups and downs and the rockiness of, of owning and operating a business. But that, I think that that has something to do with my experiences growing up. Um, but as an advisor, you really need to nail down what it is that you want to do, right? Do you want to spend your time building the plans and working with the clients? Do you want to spend your time building and operating a business? Um, those are two different and distinct things. And what type of business do you want to have? Are you comfortable taking commissions? If so, then be a commission and fee-based advisor. I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you're kind of you're upfront about what you're doing. If you would rather have as free, be as free as com from conflicts as possible, then become a fee-only advisor and and be proud of that. You know, if you don't want to have to deal with the the hassles of planning and are comfortable selling a product, then become a commission-based salesperson and be happy with that because products still have a place in this business. Clients do need insurance. Some clients need annuities. Some clients are better off with REITs, whatever the case may be. But identify what your space is actually going to be. So do you think you can be a financial planner and be in that insurance space and still be a fiduciary as per the CFP board? No, it, it's technically impossible. You can't be a, you cannot be a fiduciary, be in the insurance space and, um, and consider yourself, a, well, you can, you can be a financial planner, yes, but you can't be a, you can't be a fiduciary if, um, if you're in the insurance space, because as a as an agent, you're beholden to the company whose product you're selling versus to the client themselves. I uh, I'm a fee only advisor, but I keep my insurance license um, because of the state of Texas. And I um, I went through and did a bunch of CE recently, mm -hmm. and it was who is the agent's fiduciary responsibility to? And the answer wasn't the client. It was the agency. Yeah, that's correct. And, and I thought that was very, I thought that was very telling. I was like, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, by law. And yeah. So let's talk a little bit. You've, so you've grown your company to 48 clients in that, that $3 million mark. Um, I'm assuming it's a lot of the same marketing strategies that you've used in the past, you're, you're probably fine tuning them. I have. Yeah. So some of that is it's still primarily <laughs> that my primary growth model uh, at this point now is referrals um, and on some online marketing opportunities for me. Uh, so I, I spend a lot of time on social media, you know, 
I don't do the traditional financial planning strategies, blog posts or anything like that. I post fun pictures and videos and then I tell people to call me. Um, I ask my clients to just, if you had a good, if you had an experience, good or bad, write a quick Yelp review. Tell people what your, what your thoughts are. I don't need a testimonial, just write your experiences. Um, I, I still go out and I go shake hands. Um, I meet every Wednesday, I go to a local bar and we do an, a business after hours and there's different people every single time. And then I just answer questions for people so that, uh, like Michael Kitsis says, he says, give away uh, like 99% of your knowledge for free and that 1% will, will pay for everything. And so I'll go and I'll answer questions very, very broadly, very, very generally, right? Giving people an idea of what things they, they need to or can do in a specific situation. Uh, but remember, it's, it's more than just education, right? It's exposure. And now at this point, you have you've gotten the education you're around people that are following and you've got the exposure now it's implementation i'm a business owner so i want people to implement with me and when people if people continue to ask questions i say why don't you just come into the office and let's sit down and and talk about how my service and my planning process can help you and if it makes sense then we'll move forward if it doesn't then you you'll walk away a little bit wiser and i'll give you some points and help you find another advisor that can work for you well, I love this mindset shift in sales where it's not, it's even if you don't work with me, you still need financial planning. And that's such a different point of perspective um, than just buy my thing, buy my thing, yeah. or let me do planning for you. Yeah, absolutely. Some of my best clients have come as referrals from other advisors. Um, and, you know, here in Austin, there, it's, a, it's becoming more and more of an open market and, and a more of a collaborative type environment. Um, one advisor comes to mind in particular, Philip um, Olson with The Art of Finance. Um, they have a lifestyle virtual practice. And every Friday he, he puts out a, um, similar to you, he puts out a, 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 an article or a blog called The Art of Friday. You know, and in that blog, he talks about life experiences and choices that they've made. And then he ties it back to finances. This is great for him and the type of business and clients that he wants to market to. But then generally speaking with some small business owners or highly complex scenarios, he'll generally refer those businesses to me to have a conversation. And I really appreciate that because I know that their firm is growing and they have a great approach. And um, that's a space that I know well. And vice versa for clients that I have that may be looking for more of a lifestyle uh, type advisor or someone that's looking for um, non-complex scenarios, simple planning, or just some ongoing things, then Philip would be a good fit for them um, in that space. And I'm completely comfortable with doing that, you know, providing that referral to another advisor, to a colleague of mine that I know is going to do a good job for a client regardless. And some clients just don't fit with my personality type. I might be a bit too boisterous. Generally speaking, people get along with me, but um, that's not everyone. So knowing other advisors that are in the space, like you, like Philip, like Sophia Berra, uh, and others, um, it helps make sure that if someone is seeking advice, they don't get turned away and they're not being forced to go and find someone on their own. They can actually come into my office if we're not a good fit we can help them find the right direction to go. 
That's great. So I want to spend a little bit of time. You have a unique service model that you work with clients. Can you um, tell the listeners a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Uh, so um, my business model is um, was inspired by McDonald's. <laughs> uh, so I call it the McDonald's model. Anyone who's, who has kids or anyone who's been to McDonald's more than twice, you know the you know the menu order. And no matter what part of the country you're, you're in, you know, number one is the Big Mac. Number two is the quarter pounder. Number three is the quarter pounder with cheese. Number four, I think, is the chicken sandwich. On and on and on, right? And number five is the uh, chicken nuggets. Kids know know what a happy meal is. You know that with that, you'll get your burger, you'll get your fries, and you'll get a drink, right? And you also have the ability to improve, uh, upsize that, or you can replace items here or there. If there's nothing on the menu that on the value menu that you want, you can go over to the dollar menu and you can build it a la carte. My planning process works exactly the same way. What I've done is using those using those years uh, at the broker dealer to, to hone clients and their lifestyle choices. I have been able to identify certain planning thing, certain conversations that come up based on a client's uh, need, right, or where they are in their life cycle. So I created planning packages that address those specific life cycles. One example is my Wealth Builder Fundamentals program, which is for those who are just now starting out, maybe fresh out of college, recovering from a divorce, changing jobs. Um, my Wealth Builder Fundamentals package addresses certain key aspects, whether it's cash flow management, employee benefits, um, risk management in terms of your insurance, um, and basic retirement planning. And I provided a package that says, Here's everything that we're going to cover in this package. Here's the amount of the hours that you're going to get. And here is the price for that package. Each one of those planning packages ranges from very, very simple to complex based on where that client is in their life cycle or their level of planning complexity. They can come into my office based on our conversation. I can lay out five package choices and then we can uh, upgrade or downgrade based on what the client is comfortable with. So there's no more uh, going back and forth with how much should I be charging? No, the Wealth Builder Fundamentals package is $1,800. We can break that up into monthly, quarterly payments, or you can pay it up front, depending on what works best for you. Then I go to Wealth Planner Standard, which is the next step up, which is where most Americans tend to sit. Uh, that package expands to basic estate planning and some investment or college planning to Wealth Builder, to Wealth Planner Premium, which is a step up for maybe executives or if you have some basic complex scenarios to my wealth planner premier which is for which is the a la carte menu that one starts at uh, 5500 and it goes up from there and in that package clients can literally build their own financial planning experience those options have made the selling of financial planning much easier because now clients are no longer wondering what exactly are you going to do with for me? Or how are you going to help me? What we're going to do is, based on our conversation, Mr. Uh, Prospect, this package makes the most sense. What I'm going to do is I'm going to also include maybe education planning, and this is going to be the total cost of your service. That is completely templatized my, my process from start to finish with all of my clients and all of my prospects. It sounds like good business on the operation side of it. Oh, yeah. 
it's tremendous great but it, it, it's it's very very simple it's easy to explain um, anyone who's ever looked at a at a at a value menu it works the same way if you if you like the Big Mac meal you know you're gonna walk in you're gonna order the Big Mac meal if someone walks into my office and they're they're married with children and they know that they have specific concerns in terms of retirement and education planning and maybe employee benefits we know that we're going to look at one of two packages wealth planner standard or wealth planner premium based on complexity and when the client walks out they walk out knowing what they're going to pay for they're going to know how many hours per year they're going to have to work with me and they get the they have the great benefit of being able to pick up the phone and calling us for any questions that they have without having to worry about uh, the clock you know because I'm not going to bill them for every second that they're on the phone with me they get a set number of hours in addition they also uh, don't have to have half a million dollars they don't have to have fifty thousand dollars in the bank to work with me they just need to one be able to cover the cost of the subscription and two, be willing to follow through. And because of the structure of the business uh, and because of the structure of my planning practice, they tend to do just that. That's great. So it's even good for the client implementation side yes, of it. Yes, absolutely. Getting clients to actually act and change. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not just providing them with a document and saying, here you go, thank you. You're on your way. No, <laughs> we follow through. And that makes it that makes it a lot easier because now we know when we're going to do so. We know what we're going to focus on and we can help them implement that over the course of uh, a year, two years, five years, however long they need. That's great. So you're, do your clients pay at one time or is it every year? It's a subscription, so it's renewable. And do you find that most of your clients renew that? Yes. So our client, our, our expectation is client life cycle or renewal cycle is a minimum three years. Um, generally speaking, we don't have clients that leave us before that. Um, and I know this because most of my broker dealer clients, when I home this model, has been doing exactly that. Um, and because of the way the packages are structured, if they need to upgrade the package, they can do so, or if they need to downgrade the package. So if you're starting at Wealth Planner Standard and you start making more money, you get a major raise, maybe you get an inheritance and your, your planning scenario gets a little bit more complex. Now we're looking at the Wealth Planner Premier because now we're including more complex planning scenarios and we're, and we're, we're visiting more often and you're going to probably need more hours. And the, the difference between the Wealth Planner Standard and the Wealth Planner Premier is the Wealth Planner Standard package gets 10 hours, the Wealth Planner Premier package gets 15 hours, right? And so if you're going to need more time, hey, Bill, uh, what do you think if we just upgrade the, the planning package? Then let's do, we can do just that. And it's easier for the client to make that decision rather than them saying, okay, well, I'm done. I don't need you anymore. Now what we're doing is we're continuously working on things that may not necessarily involve investment management or insurance. Clients will call me using their hours to decide whether or not to purchase a car or if it makes sense for them to refinance their house. Or one of my favorite things is clients with children before they let their kids go to college or before they send them money, they'll say, I have hours. I want you to go sit down and speak with our financial planner before you make this decision. And they'll have me be the bad guy to tell them that, nope, you can't afford that school. So, <laughs> 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 um, but they'll use those hours in that capacity because now they have a guy and they have hours and they're, they're not worried about the clock. 
I love that. They have a guy. <laughs> yeah, they have a guy or a gal, you know. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, it's so exciting to see um, these new business models pop up and things like this coming coming to fruition and like seeing them being done really successfully. So I, it's very exciting to hear about this. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate this. Is, yeah. This is love, great. And I love uh, to share um, with any up and coming advisors or experienced advisors, anyone who has any questions and I, I'm, I'm an open book, you know, I'll share my model. I'll share our processes because I know how difficult it is. And I wish someone would have done it for me. So thank you so much, Hannah, for actually doing this and, and helping other advisors kind of map out their path and see what works for them. Um, and anything that I can offer, anything that I can share that will help advisors, I'd love to do so. That's great. So I want to throw it over to Charlie. He's been listening here so he can maybe pick up where I haven't. Any questions he has? Sure. Yeah. Okay, Bill. So how can folks find you and how can some local planners down there in the Austin area get involved in their local FPA? Great question, Charlie. Thank you so much for asking. Um, if you go, you can find me on Twitter. Just type in my name at Bill Simonet, B-I-L-L-S-I-M-O-N-E-T. Uh, you can visit my website at Simonet Financial, S-I-M-O-N-E-T-F-I-N-A-N-C-I-A-L. Uh, dot com. Um, those are really the best places to find me. Uh, or you can give me a call here at my office, 512-296-8962. Uh, I'm very involved in the FPA chapter, and our chapter is growing like gangbusters. So if you're an advisor and you're looking for a great organization that's going to help you grow and, and do it in a collaborative fashion, the Financial Planning Association of Austin is a great place to go. We're having our annual conference this year at Top Golf, and I'm planning the entire conference with the help of a great committee. Uh, we have great advisors that are helping to make this uh, the best conference yet. So if you like to play golf or if you want to network with other advisors and listen to some great speakers, then I would encourage you to come to the Financial Planning Association's conference this year in October. And you can find out more information at www.austinfpa.org. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. As a reminder, if you pass your CFP exam in July, be sure to send me an email with your address to hannah at guidingwealth.com because we want to celebrate with you. We'll talk again next week.